Hello and welcome back to, I can't even call it an emergency episode because we haven't done an episode in so long, but it is kind of an emergency because there was some big NBA moves today. Yosef Nasser is joining me. No Harrison Liao today. Yos, the DeJounte Murray news. On a scale of 1 to 10, how thrown off were you? I know there were rumors about it, but did you actually expect it to happen? Um, yeah, I, I kind of sense that where there's smoke, there's fire, but I think you buried the real lead. Kobe White has been linked to the Los <laughs> Angeles Lakers in a trade rumor, and actually when you contacted me, I was busy playing NBA 2K, and I was trading Kobe to the Lakers and trying to win a championship with that core of Kobe White, Stanley Johnson, Braun, Westbrook, <laughs> AD. So all jokes aside, no, I, I think that the, this is one of those things where there was smoke, there was fire. Um, a big factor in this was uh, Danilo Gallinari had like a guarantee date on his contract uh, to which it would have become uh, uh, fully guaranteed. And I believe um, there hasn't been official. There, there, it's, it's thought that uh, um, the uh, Hawks up that guarantee to, to make the salaries match in this trade. But uh, which side do you want to start with, the Hawks or the Spurs? Because I think there are interesting um, tidbits on both sides of this. Are, are you more interested in the Hawks and their ceiling? Let's start with the Hawks, yeah. So I, I just wonder, um, it's tough. I mean, the, the way, like, if you're going to analyze this trade, I, I think it probably depends on how you feel about Trey Young. Um, and I love his talent offensively. And I've largely, um, let's say there's a spectrum of, like, people who hate Trey Young, people who love Trey Young. I'm all on more of the positive side than the negative side. I think he's, you know, one of the most amazing offensive talents that we've seen. Not Steph Curry, anything like that, but, you know, some of the stuff that we call him Evil Steve for a reason, reason buckets. This is an amazing talent, deep brains on his shot. You know, I've seen him up close. So not, not, I mean, I literally seen him up close, but that's when he was on those horrible Hawks teams when he used to work for the Bulls. I saw him up close there, but I was more so referring to in the playoffs, and this guy is an absolute terror to stay in front of, uh, makes other guys better. Um, but you wonder – I think Murray has two years left on his contract, if I'm not mistaken, and then he's going to be up for, you know, an extension. He's going to push for the most he can get. Um, John Collins still in trade rumors, have Clint Capella there. They have DeAndre Hunter there. I think it's a good move from the sense that when you have a Trey Young, it'd be nice to have another guy in the backcourt who can take on those tougher defensive matchups. But it's just you wonder – what the ceiling of that type of team is. But you don't want to feel like you're criticizing a team for being aggressive and making a move. So I'm conflicted um, in terms of what the ceiling is. I mean, I know that uh, you've commented about kind of your disappointment of DeJounte Murray. I mean, amazing talent, right? Like borderline triple-double threat every night. Um, you know, breakout season this past year. His shooting has gotten better every year. His mid-range game in the paint. Um, defensively, an absolute pest, a menace. Um, but, you, I mean, you were critical. You were disappointed of his play and performance. So you look at that combination with Trey and then Hunter, and we'll see what they do with John Collins. And they've got Capella and Anyeka Kanwu, and they still have Bogdanovich. I don't know. Like, I, this team made the Eastern Conference Finals in part because of uh, Beta Ben Simmons melting down in a big spot. But um, – is this a puncher's chance team? Does it need the right mix of guys, um, the, the right uh, teams to kind of fall? I don't know. This team was uh, – they made the eight seed last year, right? They, the eight seed, and they played Miami in the first round. So, you know, does this solidify them as a top six seed? What do you think, Buckets? I think that they are in that category of Chicago, Toronto, Philly – that's like their, their grouping, but they're much younger than all those teams. So in theory, they should be able to at least grow together. And I like, I like what, they're, what happens now to, to their bench because now you move Herder to the bench. You move, I mean, Bogdanovich or Herder, I guess, whichever one you yeah. want to pick. But now they're both off the bench, which I think should be more beneficial to both of them. And it kind of solidified their depth. If Okongwu is who they think he is, then, I mean, now you have a deep Atlanta team um, who was supposed to be deep last year, but they never really figured out kind of the pecking order after yeah. Trey. And now it's like, all right, you have a clear number one, you have a clear number two. 
it should work more smoothly. And I think that when you look at the other teams in the East, there are going to be, there's going to be a team or two. I mean, I think Philly is going to be a team like this. I know they're, they're looking like they're going to sign PJ Tucker, but there's going to be a few teams that basically just run it back. And I kind of like Atlanta more than the teams that decide to run it back. Whoever those teams end up being. Can I present this counter to you though? What do you think we learned in the playoffs and then subsequently in the draft? The NBA is about big wings right now. And the Hawks have basically DeAndre Hunter. I, I, I see Bogdanovich and Herder as guards. Uh, Murray is a very, for a guard, I mean, he, he's, you know, other than Marcus Smart, as good as you get, but, you know, he's 6'3", 6'4". Um, you know, feisty, you know, you can throw him on a lot of guards, but um, like in a playoff matchup, Murray, Trey, one of Bogdanovich and Herter, Hunter, Capella, if, you know, or Okonwu, I, I just feel like this is going to be one of those teams. And again, I don't want to feel like I'm criticizing a team for being bold, but I mean, you're, you're, you're looking at two unprotected uh, Atlanta picks in 2025, 2027. Um, they traded a Charlotte pick as well. Three first rounds plus a pick swap. Um, what's the ceiling of this team? How does it, what is this team, you know, cause it looks like this is going to be their core. And is this core good enough to, make it back to the Eastern Conference Finals, make it to an NBA Finals. I guess it's how much you believe in, in, in Trey Young, but um, I don't know. It's, 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 a strange, it's a strange fit, but, you know, I do love Murray as a talent. I, you know, I'm, I'm curious to see where this goes. I, th- I think they need an avenue to get another big wing, and I just don't know with all the draft equity they've traded away, the guys on the roster, and how coveted those positions are, what their path, to, to do that is because let's say let's play this out so Celtics um and Hawks put them in a series right now with the let's assume John Collins stays do, do you favor the Celtics in that matchup I think I do I do too but I think it would be a six or seven gamer yeah um but ultimately in order to get to the top you need to defeat these teams in six or seven gamers um so I don't know. I, I think that um, would you Murray keep, was. Would you keep John Collins as part of the the core? I think it depends on what you can get for them. Uh, I think the issue the Hawks have kind of run into, and kind of what I'm hitting on, is that they they don't really have a path to meaningful cap space to to go out and get a free agent. So they're reliant on the salary structures that they have in place and, you know, kind of configuring those in a way to where they can mix up the roster a little bit. And would you say that John Collins is a bad contract? I think it's like, you know, um, it's a mad contract probably. I mean, it's, it's, it's fine. It's probably market value. Would I keep John Collins? I think it depends on what you keep, what you can get, because if there is an upgrade out there, um, on the wing, because I think we, we both view John Collins probably as a small ball center, right? He can play four in some lineups in the regular season. If another team is going big, like for instance, so this that Celtics series that we were referencing, or if the Celtics are playing Horford and Robert Williams, yeah, you can throw out Collins and uh, uh, Capello or Kongwu. Um, but if you had an opportunity to get a wing, a two-way wing, um, and moving that John, like, would you rather have uh, John Collins or Mikhail Bridges, do you think? Oh, I would rather have Bridges. That's kind of the dilemma I'm talking about, right? Yeah. <laughs> that kind of says it. We're, we're like, you know, John Collins or Ananobi. I'm not as high on Ananobi as okay. I think the consensus. And, and you know what? I think that's fair. And, and we do have to recognize that John Collins is a very efficient, dynamic uh score you know a force rolling to the rim a little bit undersized defensively and you know when Trey is uh, the the top guy on your team what you want to do is you want to optimize all of those pieces around him. you basically want to be I mean you kind of want to be the Celtics like you want to have Trey and then the Boston Celtics just like kind of incubating him or you know Steph and the Golden State Warriors with the defensive pieces they have around 
him. Uh, th that's kind of what you want to do. And when you have a guy like Collins, who's, I don't know if he's a bad defender, but it's just like, a, I wouldn't say he's a, a plus defender. So it really depends on your question was, do you like John Collins? Are you keeping him? I, I love his pick and roll chemistry with uh, Trey Young, but I think the Trey, Trey Young can find pick and roll chemistry with you. So like, yeah. you know, he, he, he's that type of dynamic, uh, uh, pick and roll creator and I think there there are a lot of roll guys that you can get uh, pick and roll guys pick and pop guys who, who can function at a high level with him that you know aren't making the money that Collins is making so um, it really depends on what you can get and I, I think that if there was a market for John Collins if they could get a, a trade offer that they really liked he'd be gone by now but um, he's not and he didn't go to San Antonio and I think it's a good opportunity to pivot to them because San Antonio is going all in. Trauma for Wembenyama, hat tip Harry Leo. Um, they, they, they are going full-blown tank mode right now. I read something, uh, Buckets, and I know, I know that you're a stealth Spurs fan. I mean, you like some of the guys they have on their roster. Um, if Lonnie Walker, who's a restricted free agent, leaves, Kelvin Johnson, who was drafted in 2019, is their most 20, tenured player. He's 22 years old. So they are going – all in on Blake Wesley and Josh Primo and Jeremy Sohan and um, all Jakob Pertl in, in a contract here. All, all of these young guys, they're going all in. And this, this is the year to do it. I think that this draft class is uh, potentially – it has the potential to be something similar to what we saw last year, if not better, because I, I don't know if Cade was looked at. We haven't seen a prospect like Wembenyama, in my opinion, since Luka Doncic, uh, and, and I mean, some have argued since LeBron James. So, um, and it's deep too. I mean, I think you've got Scoot Henderson, who at 17 years old was an incredible player going up against grown men in the G League. You've got Nick Smith, who's a dynamic athlete, uh, Derek Rose style point guard. Um, let me let me ask you a question. So, how many of the guys? Because I'm not familiar with anybody except Wemben Yama and Scoot Henderson. How many of these guys in the next draft do you think are better than Dejounte Murray, at least in terms of upside? Okay, so so basically, what I'm asking is no. I understand what you're asking, and what, I would say what do the Spurs need at the minimum. To make this, I think if they got, I think, and this might be. Let, let, let's do it this way. So, can we can we go? Let, let's revisit last year's class. So, Cade Cunning, Cunningham, but and let me let me know if these guys meet your criteria of something that would be an acceptable um, piece for the Spurs to get to justify the trade, right? Yeah. Cade Cunningham, right? Yes, yes. You're cool with that. Um, number two, Jalen Green. Yes. You're cool with that. Um, Evan Mobley. You're yes. cool with that. Um, Scotty Barnes, you're cool with that? Yes. Um, Jalen Suggs, I mean, that's uh, no. more, more questionable. Um, Josh Gidding, you're cool with that or no? Yeah, why not? Um, and then uh, our boy Jonathan Kaminga? Yes. Um, Franz Wagner? That's like, I think, like an equal to Murray. Okay. I think that this class boasts that type of depth at the okay. top. Um, that, that type of quality at the top, rather. I don't know about how deep it goes, but when you talk about uh, the Thompson twins, Asar and Amen, they're not really playing. They're, they're, it's, you know, glorified high school all-star game uh, with, with what they're doing at Overtime Elite, but they have outrageous speed and athleticism, and if they can get their shot down, I mean, these, these guys are, you know, incredible athletes on, on both ends of the floor. Um, I already mentioned Nick Smith, an athletic point guard who – you know, could make a case to be better than uh, Scoot Henderson, potentially. Uh, you've got uh, Cam Whitten Whitmore, who's a freak athlete. Uh, and then once you get into the Derek Lively, who's more of your, your traditional athletic run and jump big, that's probably where I draw the line. But, um, yeah, I think six or seven guys uh, in this upcoming class. The Spurs, obviously, the prize they're going after. They're looking for their next Tim Duncan. We understand that. But I think if you get uh, a lot of the guys that I mentioned um, – I think that they're coming out okay, plus the depth that they're going to be able to build with some of the guys they have on the roster and with these extra picks that they're going to get from the Hawks. So um, I think the pair, it parallels 2021 uh, very, in a very interesting way in my mind. Who do you think is going to be the Spurs' number one option offensively this year?
Do you think it's Kelvin Johnson? I think it's Kelvin Johnson. I think he's going to be used um, as an as a do it all guy, but I I think Vassell is going to get like oh my god the game and Primo. <laughs> Team, I mean, oh my goodness! I guess uh, they're going to stretch the limits of all of these guys and see what all of these guys can do. But yeah, that's uh, it's that's, that's one of our that's one of our kind of teams where it's just it's from day one it's going to be disastrous, but it's going to be so fun to see how they um how they try to score points because you have a bunch of young guys who nobody has experience in any of the roles that they're probably going to be in. I can't wait to watch that team. Obviously, they're going to be home. I know you can. It's going to be fun. It's going to be interesting to see. And I, and I think that, uh, you know, other than uh, Jaden Ivey, I mean, Blake Wesley, who's the a guy they drafted, I believe it was 24. Um, he, he's, he's one of these guys, inconsistent shooter, but, you know, that level of athleticism from a guard, a little bit erratic, and he, he and Primo, they're going to stretch the limits of what those guys can do. Um, I mean, I think that we're going to see lineups that uh, – I don't want to say mirror this last year's Portland team when uh, the game was out and all the guys that, that we saw, but I think that we could uh, approach that. They do have some interesting young guys who are going to get some uh, valuable development time. But, yeah, I mean, they're, they are by far the favorites to be the uh, worst team in the league. So moving on to more NBA news, what are you expecting with the with the Kyrie situation? Because obviously he opted in. Do you think he will be a Brooklyn Net at the beginning of next year? I've gone back and forth with you about this, and it seemed like they had tried, to, I guess, maybe publicly to smooth things over. And now I'm kind of coming over to your side where – who the heck knows? Like, maybe they don't like the guy, maybe. But it's just like, who's the suitor? That's the problem, the, the thing that I'm struggling with. Who's the suitor? And why, what would be the impetus to take a Lakers-Westbrook package? That, that, that's kind of the thing that I'm confused about because I'm on hoops hype uh, right now as, as we speak. You know, this is the time of year where, you know, we're all refreshing hoops hype, trying to see the latest. Uh, top thing on the list right now uh, on the feed. Kyle Lowry assured that the Heat won't trade him for Kyrie. <laughs> so that's the stage we're at. And um, what's the market for, for a guy? I mean, super talented. Um, and it's not like he was hurt this year. He happened to be in one of two markets um, that um, did not allow home players to, to play if they were not uh, – vaccinated uh, against COVID. So, you know, if he was playing in Orlando or Washington or, you know, th this type of thing wouldn't have even surfaced when people talk about his unreliability. But, you know, there, there are issues that people have about his volatility um, and his unpredictability. And that's before you get into the injury situation where, you know, he, he's finished plenty of years over the course of his career on the sideline due to due to different, you know, knee issues and I mean obviously you know they, they made the finals and he was hurt that first year with Le LeBron and the Warriors I mean that Celtics uh, run where he was a uh, sideline I think he had the infection uh, in, in his knees so um, he, he uh, I mean and, and then the the, the last uh, of the uh, that James Harden playoff run when Harden got hurt against the Bucks and you know the hamstring and then a few games before Kyrie uh, got a hurt as well so um, you love the talent. He had a career year last year, um, you know, from a per game perspective, but who, who's the suitor and who's, who's going to have the degree of confidence. To, and, and you've been sending us Kyrie trades. I think you've sent us one from every team, <laughs> let's, but it's let's just do one like right now. Cause I have one. Okay. When you say, okay, who's let's the suitor? um, who says no Spencer Dinwiddie, Maxi Kleba, 2025 round one will, will do unprotected. For actually, yeah, no, absolutely. No. Dallas has no to that. We're, we're gonna do top like eight protected for Kyrie. Do you think Mark Cuban would be that ballsy? Because I, I really think that it's gonna be hard to find a suitor, but I, I could see Cuban if they lose Brunson. I mean, 
you you already went halfway in. You not even halfway. Yeah. When you trade for Christian Wood, you're trying to compete for a championship. Now, if you lose Brunson, we're going to get into Brunson next. But I mean, I think that's a gigantic loss for them. I mean, um, you have to replace that that role, and Kyrie would be an upgrade as long as yeah. he's playing and he's healthy. And I really think that. Well, I don't know how him and Luca would would mesh personality wise, but I think Cuban as an owner might be gutsy enough to say, "I'll I'll go for it." What do you think about? But is that? is there something to be said though? Like you've got your guy, right? That you want to. You know, this is your franchise player. This is the guy you want to build your franchise around for the next fifteen years. But you know, eventually, Luca's going to be coming up a, for a contract. He's already he signed his extension. Last year, he's entering year five. Um, eventually, he's going to have an opportunity to be a free agent. And do you want to mess around with pissing him off or annoying him with some of the frustrations of Kyrie when, when there are other ways where you can build a little bit more organically as opposed to trying to microwave something like that? That's just kind of a devil's advocate well, point. And then you also have the point where um, Dallas, I mean, their defense was – I mean, outstanding last year with Jason Kidd. Um, do do you think? And you can say, you know, some of the other personnel they were they were able to um, be more than the sum of their parts defensively. But do do you wonder Kyrie and some of his limitations defensively? Luca, you know, all of a sudden you're trading Kleba, who's very valuable um, as a stretch big and a guy who can switch. Um, understanding how good Kyrie is, but um, basically now your, your team is your top three players are Kyrie, Christian Wood, and Luca. That sounds very volatile to me. I mean, you got Dodo as well, Dorian Finney-Smith. Um, you mentioned there are other ways for Dallas to organically replace Brunson. What are, what are you thinking? If they were to lose Brunson, is it just like Hardaway Jr. and Dinwiddie just step into that role and make it work that way? And can that work? Is that enough to replace him? I mean, like, would you rather give up guys who are on your team who played key roles to last year's team, um, give those guys up for Kyrie, or would you rather buy low on a Kobe White, who we mentioned at the beginning of the podcast? Wow. <laughs> well, you know what I would answer that with? Yeah. What would you answer that with? I would definitely buy low on, on a guy like a Kobe White. Um, I, I just don't think they can lose Brunson and then stand pat after that and expect to actually contend for a title because Brunson was their second best player, second yeah. most important player, I would say. Um, and just to lose him for nothing, I don't think that that team – and, yes, they're, they're going to bring back Tim Hardaway Jr., who – I still think, you know, people, uh, casual basketball observers didn't understand how useful and important he was to that team. But Brunson, I mean, he, he legitimately basically won them a first round series as, as the guy. Um, I guess this is a good time to transition into the, the Knicks and Brunson. If, by the way, who knows now? I mean, Chris Haynes reported today that the Knicks – obviously are going to get the meeting with Brunson, but also mentioned that he's also meeting with Miami and Dallas. So this might not be as foregone of a conclusion as people thought, but just for the sake of this conversation, let's assume Brunson is headed to New York, $27 million. Let's actually, I'm going to ask you a, a question this way, because it sounds like Brunson, Tyler Hero, and Fred Van Vliet are all looking at basically the exact same numbers on their contract. If you had to rate those, rank those three players one through three in terms of who you would want, how would you rank them? Tyler Hero clearly third, and then I guess it depends on what your other uh, supporting pieces are. Um, can I read you this tweet? Um, yeah. It's about Brunson. Yes. 2022 playoff Jalen Brunson would not going up against the Utah traffic cones. 18.4 points a game, 49.2 effective field percentage, uh, effective field goal percentage, 53.3 uh, true shooting. Um, 
very undersized and doesn't defend limited athlete who has to work 110% for every bucket now in a hundred million dollar player because Donovan Mitchell and company could not guard a tree. Um, that's obviously an exaggeration and a little bit unfair, but, um, can I, can I chime in real quick though? Because sure. the hundred million, 110 million, whatever it is. No, we get, I know exactly what you're going to say. And I agree, right. It's all relative. It's just a percentage of the cap. The numbers look ridiculous because the NBA makes a lot of money and they d- distribute contracts uh, based on um, the amount of money they make. And yeah, like a guy like Jalen Brunson, he's going to get eye popping. Yeah. Believe me, I understand uh, where you're coming from on that a hundred percent. That was part one. And the most important part of what I was going to say, part two is that that's RJ Barrett's team. So yeah. Brunson people are like, Oh, the Knicks are, are paying him to be their star. I think that he's going to have, you know, a, more of a role than he did in Dallas, but it's exactly yeah. the number two guy, maybe even three if, if, if Randall picks his stuff up, but that's RJ's team. So I'm not really worried about Brunson falling off in New York. Do you think that there is a chance that this contract becomes one of those Knicks contracts that no, no. And the thing is, is that buckets we're, we're seasoned enough NBA fans to where like, even if you want to roll your eyes at the current state of affairs of the New York Knicks, this is nothing compared yeah. to the Starberry Steve Francis era and the era where they had Chris Duhon running pick and rolls with David Lee, you know, trying to uh, hope for that Donnie Walsh can convince LeBron to come over or, you know, the Amari and his uh, contract, his bloated contract and his injury issues. And then, you know, they had that one year with Carmelo and Jason Kidd and J.R. Smith. And then everything after that was absolute turmoil. You've got Joe Kim Noah, the, the ridiculous yeah. contract they gave him back in uh, 2016. I think the, yeah, the summer of 2016, um, that year where everybody got overpaid because of the, uh, the, the cap spike. And then Durant went to the Warriors and the rest is history there. So, um yeah, in terms of Knicks dysfunction and Knicks overpaying players, this is an absolute first world problem. Jalen Brunson is going to retain value on that contract, I think. Um, it's just you look at the landscape of the league and, and that team, um, that's still one of those teams that's flip, you know, with Brunson on the roster. I think it's you need to have a major RJ leap to, to really expect that team to make some noise in the playoffs and not just be a borderline playing team. Uh, flip a coin if they make it out of the first round team. Um, I think they need RJ. I was just going to say, Yos, I'm much more concerned about the Mitchell Robinson supposed four-year 60 million contract. I mean, that guy, I know that there's been moments that he's shown tons of flashes of kind of being similar to Robert Williams, what he does for the Celtics, but to me, he was always kind of unmotivated in that yeah. in that role, and now you basically lock him up long term. That contract to me is much more of a red flag than the Brunson one. The, did you like that one? Or I mean, it's I mean, not you know, you know that I'm a Mitchell Robinson stand, so I'm going to try to be an apologist as best I can. But I do agree that he's not nearly the defensive player that uh, Robert uh, Williams is, and then offensively. When you get to the playoffs, these pick and roll lob guys, like you know, you can just switch those those matchups and really kind of key in. And you know, is Robinson going to kill you on the post? I mean, the guy doesn't, you know, he doesn't shoot outside of the paint. Like his his offense is all like he didn't take a jump shot last year. His offense is all lobs and putbacks. Speaking of lobs and putbacks, it sounds like um, with DeAndre Ayton, the Pistons are. With the Nerlens Noel and Alec Burks trade and the Kemba Walker move, it sounds like they don't have the money now to go get Aiden. And money's going to dry up fast. I, I'm really curious to see where he goes. Um, there was something that I, I, I don't know if I mentioned this in our group chat or not today, but there was a, a trade that I came up with today. Uh, Vooch, Kobe White, 2023 first-round pick that the Bulls have from – Portland for DeAndre Ayton do you think that well let me ask you it this way where do you think Ayton's going to end up because it seemed like it was going to be the Pistons but now who knows 
I have no clue. I want to read, you know, because at this stage of the offseason, we're just trying to gather information. We're chewing on whatever we can find and try to understand something uh, of what's going to happen. So I'm looking on Twitter right now. DeAndre Aiden and Suns mutually prefer sign-and-trade resolution. What does that say? Exactly what you just said. There aren't any teams with cap space that seem like they're going to be likely suitors uh, for DeAndre Aiden. Now, I also saw something. Um, I think it might have been clutch points uh, aggregating something that Woj said about um, the Aiton camp believes that there is the money that he's looking for out there in a sign and trade. Now, could that be a Chicago Bulls? How would an Armand, Armand Tendravi, Armani Buckets feel about that as a diehard Chicago Bulls fan? And I mean, I was surprised to hear a little bit. You say you're in? I mean, you explain on that because. Because, and I ask you this, not to be a devil's advocate or not to, um, to, to be skeptical for any reason or not to give you a hard time, but it's just this is a player that I think that you, Armand, have gone a little bit back and forth on uh, in terms of, you know, you being out and, and you thinking, you know, uh, not as highly on him. And I know how you feel about paying centers, but what, what is it about Aiden? Is it, is it just maybe what he showed in that Pelican series? Um, his potential as a shooter. I mean, the fact that we've seen him um, be an integral part to a team that made the finals and not get played off of the floor. What is it about Aiton that makes you feel comfortable with paying him uh, more than $30 million a year, given the fact that, you know, I'm talking about some of these things that uh, I'm reading as we're trying to, like, hunt for clues. Um, Brian Windhorst saying the Suns believe they can find another of other centers who can give them the production that DeAndre Ayton can. And by the way, I mean, Bismarck Biampo had a career year in terms of per 36 and JaVale McGee. And, you know, that's obviously regular season, not playoffs. It's, it's a different game. But why, why, why Ayton? Why, why is that someone still very young? Why, why is he someone that you believe in? 23 years old. The fact that he does have potential as a jump shooter. And it's just that that Suns team basically – I I get that Aiton should have handled himself much better, especially in that game seven, but it seemed like he was a scapegoat. And how is it Aiton's fault? I understand he didn't really produce, but the Suns didn't really do him any favors in terms of his development as like a focal point of the offense. He was basically just given the ball in like pick and roll, pick and pop situations. I want to see him actually be able to work on I know he he doesn't do a great job in the post but I want to see him actually develop and I feel like over 30 million is is a tough ask but if it was like 25 to 30 million there was some reporter I wish I remember who tweeted today that they expect the cap to go up another 11 million next year to like yeah wow 34 yeah that's big we yep. just talked about this with Brunson's uh, contract, but these, yep. these contracts, $30 million for Aiden is going to be like this year's version of like a $25 million. So yep. in that case, I don't think it's a – you're getting him not even in his prime. I think that his athleticism, um, the way that he's just built, I think he will be built to last as a player. I think that – um, he gets a bad reputation in terms of maybe not caring and being passive. I think that he's actually a, kind of the same personality of maybe an Andrew Wiggins, where it's like people kind of perceive him maybe to be a little bit more on the weaker side mentally, but I don't think that he's like that at all. And I think that he's going to be extremely motivated wherever he goes. Now, you got to get him to a team where if if he wants to actually be a winning player, he needs to have like a star or two around him. You don't want to like get the Suns. Yeah, like the Suns, basically. <laughs> but if you take him to a team, like if you took him to Detroit and just dumped him on that team, I don't know how um, – it might have been a lot of empty stats with him, but I really think that he can help you win. And the whole notion that they can just replace him, good luck because – yeah. I understand what they did in the regular season. A lot of that is because of Chris Paul, but the postseason's a different animal, and I don't know if it's going to be that easy to replace him. Did you see the rumor about the trade with uh, Aiton to the Nets? I did. Uh, um, 
Well, I, I think it was that the odds like jumped up like at a, at a massive degree. But I'm wondering, was that when people were connecting? Was that, you know, when the Kyrie craziness was going on and people <clears throat> were trying to figure out landing spots for KD and Aiden would be a natural package uh, return to get for a guy like KD in terms of the star? I, I don't know. Um, how how that's settled since the Kyrie and the Durant thing has kind of uh, solidified, kind of a uh, calm down for right now. But yes, of course, I did see that. Um, so I Justin, guess theoretically, if they were to move Kyrie and they were to decide, hey, we're going to move off of uh, Aiden or uh, Durant as well, then yeah, that that would make some sense. But I I don't know if that's going to be. Do you, I mean, do you see a path without putting uh, Durant in the in the deal? So according to Quentin Mayo, this is a potential Aiton trade that's been floated around. Nick Claxton, Joe Harris, and maybe Cam Thomas for DeAndre Aiton. Yeah, you need to throw some picks in there a little bit, I think. Yeah. If I mean, if I'm the Suns, Claxton fits right in with CP3 as a lob threat, and then you you add in a, one of the best. I think Joe Harris led the league right the year before this. Yeah year in in terms of three-point percentage and cam thomas he has a ton i'm a cam thomas stand he's gonna be for me this generation's jr smith where i'll find every excuse for him because i just think it's so entertaining to try to catch fire but you know he was hit and miss this past year yeah to say the least i mean in terms of ayton with Kyrie and KD, I think that would be the best case scenario for for him in terms of winning, obviously. But it just seems like this Aiton situation, do you expect this to be like quickly resolved into free agency or do you expect this one to drag out? I don't think this is something that's going to happen on midnight, July 1st, where where it's going to happen. I think it will take a few days um, because he's, I mean, obviously restricted doesn't really matter because he's going to be moved in a sign-in trade most likely. Um, I, I want to say a few things. So the Detroit Pistons things is interesting because they've got beefs too. They just drafted Jalen Duran and, uh, they just traded for Nerland's Noel, but, um, I kind of like what they're building in terms of, you know, they, they have Cade, they brought in Ivy and those guys kind of complement each other pretty well. They've got Sadiq Bay. They moved off of Jeremy Grant, which, you know, enabled them to, to bring in a guy like Duran, um, but maybe Duran is someone that could be shipped off, you know, maybe Duran and Noel and, you know, whatever salary filler you want to put in there. Maybe there's something there with picks and, you know, those, those young, that, that young center um, going back for an Aiden. Um, another team that, I mean, a team we talked about earlier, um, the Hawks, like if they're looking to be aggressive, could they make a move with, Capella and moving that deal and, you know, maybe another piece to, to get, or maybe we've seen John Collins. I mean, I, I guess they would have to focus on moving their centers and have, you know, maybe a Conwu, you know, stick in his role 15 minutes off the bench. Uh, even though I think we both believe he can be a starter, um, the Charlotte Hornets, I'm, I'm looking at a list of odds right now. The Charlotte Hornets are on this list, the Toronto Raptors, the Pacers, the Spurs. I think this could be one of those th- t- things where like we're assuming a narrow scope of teams, right? We're assuming Pistons. That's what we've heard. We're assuming um, Nets. I mean, this could be something where a team kind of pops up out of nowhere that we're not really thinking about because when you talk about signing trades, that op- opens up the opportunity for a bunch of different teams to get into the mix. Um, and, you know, center there as a, I mean, the Chicago Bulls, why not on this list? You know, I really think for what it's worth. A bull. <laughs> And you know what? I, I don't. Can I ask you this question? And this is something yeah. I'd intended to ask you. Would you put Patrick Williams on the table? No, no. Wow, Armand, you were out. You you you've been out on Patrick Williams for the past. Uh, my sense from you is that you think he's a little bit overrated, and he's probably not going to reach the massive ceiling that uh, I think a lot of people perceive him as having. And but you, you are, you're, you're still. You are correct in how I perceive him, but I'm still scared to let him go. Okay. I'll say it this way. I would, I would be more okay with seeing him go in an Aiton deal than in a Gobert deal. If it was in a Gobert deal, okay. I yeah. might lose my shit. I might have to, yeah, that would be. So you'd prefer, just to be clear, and uh, 
Yes. Harry, if you've made it this far, you prefer that Kobe White be moved in a deal than uh, Patrick Williams. Is that the case? Oh, well, I'm no, but I'm trying to also be uh, objective and, and realistic because I know that Kobe would be the piece that they would want to move first. Personally, I still love, you know, Kobe's upside. I guess this is a time that we can transition into the Kobe rumors to the Lakers. The rumor is Kobe for THT. And I just want to, instead of making this. That'd be a disaster for the Bulls. And like I texted you or uh, messaged you and Harry, um, just give Polenka the executive of the year right now. Those are the types of moves, you know, hashtag win on the margins. That's what we talk about all the time. Those are the type of moves. Try to find those undervalued former lottery picks that for whatever reason didn't pan out uh, in, in their, uh, the team that drafted them. And you can make a pretty compelling case for, for Kobe White with uh, the Jim Boylan starting his career with him and then the COVID pandemic and them not really giving him an opportunity. Like, let's say Kobe White was on this year's Spurs team, right? And he got a chance to really uh, stretch out the – the real estate and see like what he can actually do without, you know, having a, a micromanaging coach try to, you know, handcuff him and, and, and stick him into a role and, and, and really explore what this guy is capable of when you compare him to um, some of the other young guards in his draft class who have gotten opportunity. What if Kobe White was in, I think that Jordan Poole, for instance, um, Different path, obviously, but what if he was in a situation to where, like, he had that type of in- infrastructure and could focus on on just scoring and having the the confidence and uh, the the trust of a coach like Steve Kerr to where it's like, hey, Kobe, we trust you to get buckets. Like, let let's just do that. Let's lock in. I think Kobe's kind of in this ambiguous role um, with the Bulls over his Bulls tenure. Every single year is different in terms of what the expectation is for him. Um, I think it, and for the Lakers, he would have to play 39 minutes a game. So I would be absolutely all over Kobe White to the Lakers. Um, if they can make it happen, good for them. And I think THC would be a disaster on the Bulls. Yeah, I, I agree with you a thousand percent. Um, on the topic of the Lakers, so obviously Kobe is a rumored uh acquisition, but. So in case our listeners are not aware, as it currently stands, the Lakers basically have no cap space. They have their taxpayer mid-level exception, which is worth $6 million. And then they have veteran minimum, veteran minimum contracts to hand, hand out. And it sounds like, although there was some going back and forth about this today, it sounds like Malik Monk is the leader to get that taxpayer mid-level exception which would basically, you just rolled your eyes. Which I rolled my eyes. Not, not anything against Malik Monk, but that's, this is last year's team all over yeah, again. Yes, <laughs> which is basically last year's team. And then I'm assuming Anthony Davis still does not have any intention of playing center, which means you got Westbrook, Monk, LeBron, Davis, and then I guess you could put Kendrick Nunn instead of Monk if you want in the starting lineup, whatever. But you don't have a starting center still. And – all you're left with is vet minimums. The reason why I pose it this way is because I want to ask you, uh, last year was arguably the worst season in Lakers history. They went 33 and 49. Could this year be worse? I won't put it past them. (laughs) Oh man. Wow. I mean, are they, okay. Are they better than let's go with, are they better than the Pelicans? No, absolutely not. Are they better than Minnesota? They weren't last year. I guess you're saying healthy Anthony Davis, but that hasn't been – those two things haven't jived uh, ever since the bubble. So past two years since the bubble. um, I don't feel very good about that. I think think the Wolves are better. Better than Denver? Yeah, uh, no, no. Denver is better. Better than Portland? Yeah, I think they're better than Portland. Okay, so that's about where they're at. So I'm assuming that would leave them around in the play-in game. I mean, I, we yeah. what the heck Utah is going to look like, so I can't really include them yet. But So we're talking play-in area for the Lakers. Um, what, do you, what are your thoughts on the Lakers going into this offseason? Because to me, it looks like they are fucked. 
They are – I mean, it, it was obvious before the offseason that they're kind of fucked. The Kyrie thing made it seem like maybe that there was a sliver of hope for them to act. Yeah, that's exactly what I was going to say. I, I think as crazy as this sound, as, as volatile as Kyrie Irving has been, I think that was their one hope of, yeah. like, you know, how, how efficient and dynamic he is offensively versus Russell Westbrook is the exact opposite. Like, that would have given – some hope to where it's like, okay, if we hit on a few veteran minimum guys who can just stick to their roles and play their roles, um, all of a sudden, I mean, LeBron James, I know that you've kind of turned around on him and you're a big LeBron James fan now. Like, he doesn't get – his mid-range game it was just absolutely outstanding last year. I mean, he, he was lights out from basically all over the court, but it's just at this stage he's not going to play any defense. He's, he's not going to move. So, like, you need to have, like, you know, either a motivated Anthony Davis and, you know, he can summon some of that uh, uh, 2020 LeBron uh, bubble championship energy um, or, um, you know, have enough role player. They, they really screwed themselves with the rest Westbrook thing because they – gave away a lot of competent depth for a guy who is a negative on both sides of the basketball. So um, unless they can do something with that contract, which they can't because there's no way they're going to do better than what they gave up for him. He's a negative asset at this point. And, and the only hope was that um, the chaos of the Kyrie Irving situation would compel um, the Nets to, to make a move like that out of desperation if the Lakers threw in an asset. I, I don't know. Maybe that could be revisited, but then, you know, all of a sudden, like, Katie doesn't want to play with Russ. He, he's seen that movie before, and that was with Russ in his prime. So, you, yeah, you know, I think you, you said it the exact right way in terms of when you, when you said that they are in a uh, bad spot. Do you know what Anthony Davis's three-point percentage was last season? Do you know off the top? Of, I would be guessing. I would guess, like, 24%. I, I it was 18 point, I think, 18.6. Yeah. So lower than 24%, not good. And they need him to be that spacer. And it's just, I don't know, like, he makes a lot of money. He's an NBA champion. He's a top 75 player. Like, is he a guy who, you don't want to accuse someone of, of this, but it's just like, he's had a great career in basketball. And you know, he can still play for another five to eight years and make a lot of money, but it's just the urgency of, like, oh, AD's not a champion. AD can't win. Like, you know, he's he's done everything he needed to do. He's going to go into the Hall of Fame. Uh, he's a eight-time All-Star. Um, he, he's basically done it all. And, he, I mean, he's 29, so, I mean, you'd think he has, still has, you know, a few prime years left. But, you know, does he have – can he get back back healthy? Can he – become the shooter that they really need him to be. He's never attempted more than th uh, four, uh, three point shots a game and his career high in three point percentage is uh 34% in a given season, a career 30% shooter. That's not the marksman you need. That's not that stretch four stretch five that you need to, to space the floor. That's just not getting it done. Um, and his, his free throw uh, attempts have trended down over the past two seasons from you know, eight plus to, to six. So, um, you know, I, I think that uh, still outstanding defensively, but he's played half of the games over the past two seasons uh, in, in effect. So um, you have to be very confident in him staying healthy and, you know, having a little bit uh, of improvement uh, shooting the basketball. And I don't know how, how you do that. So that they, they are in a, uh, an interesting situation and, I've always been dubious that LeBron would okay a trade because I think that he's, he, he doesn't want to be traded because you can't be that guy and get traded, like in terms of the face of the league. But the Lakers, I think they seriously have to consider, like, you know, how do you recoup the value that you lost and, and, and all of these moves that you've made? Like, you've got to – you're out on picks through the Anthony Davis trade. Um, the Russell Westbrook trade was – it hemorrhaged you of a lot of your – competent role players letting Caruso go in favor of Taylor Horton Tucker was a grave mistake. Uh, what do you do? Like you're screwed. One of my uh, favorite Twitter follows Jason Maples, who he, yep. he tweets a lot of stuff about the Lakers. He tweeted this at uh, two hours ago. He tweeted this and 
this is a realistic Lakers offseason. He said, want Toscano Anderson, Ish Smith, and Troy Brown oh, yeah. on minimums. Offer Mo Bamba the taxpayer mid-level exception. Bring and that's where I shot it down. You sent that to us, Buckets. Bring Melo back. Back in the 15-minute roll or whatever. Yeah, I can see that. Mo Bamba is going to have better suitors than the Lakers. Like, I think that he can, you know, he's restricted. The Magic aren't going to match an offer likely. Like, you know, I think he's going to Houston. I think they're going to give him a pretty big bag, I don't uh, as I told that, you. Dude, I don't know if that team is better than Sacramento. <laughs> yeah, no, you're right. Um, you're right. I don't know either. Um, speaking of Ish Smith, I mean – <laughs> First of all, 13th team, what an accomplishment. I didn't know uh, Jim Jackson would ever get – I think Jim Jackson was the previous record holder. I'll look that up uh, while, while, while you talk. But what do you think about that, uh, uh, that, uh, that trade that hit the, the wire this morning, the, uh, the Wizards uh, uh, Nuggets trade? Yeah, I, you know, um, I saw a stat by StatMuse that said KCP shoots 45% on corner threes. And when you play with Jokic – you're going to yeah. have a ton of those. So Denver, an amazing job getting a guy that fits with their star. And I really love that move for them just because of the KCP aspect of it. KCP is a champion. I know he received a lot of, you know, unnecessary criticism over his Lakers tenure, but I think throughout the course of it, he gained a lot of people's respect with his defense and his ability to hit shots. And I think that that's exactly what Denver needs in that, in that kind of role. They need a guy that can lock up and that can um, hit big shots. And I, Will Barton, I mean, in his Nuggets tenure, if you Twitter searched Will Barton's name during a Nuggets game, you usually found that he was the, the scapegoat of the team. So to get off of him, I, I think it was it was overdue for them. And then Monte Morris, the Wizards, I have no idea what Washington's doing, by the way. I, I have no clue um, in terms of their direction, their plan. I don't think they really – I don't think they know what their plan is, what their direction is. But I, I really like the KCP aspect of it for the Nuggets. What do you think about the Wizards? I think they should be tanking. Um... They should be doing what the Spurs are doing, but they're in this situation where they do have an incumbent star who wants to stay, and um, they're not tanking. They're exactly in the same position as they, they were in last year, so I think they're trying to do this thing that these teams in the middle of the pack do. I, I do like the move for them because I think that once they come to their senses um, and basically realize that this team is dead set in a, in a race for the play-in, um, there's going to be opportunities to flip a Barton to a contender for some picks, you know, second round picks, maybe Morris to a contender for a late first round pick to a, a needy team. Um, and I think that Ish Smith, I mean, they're going to decline his team option basically. So um, like you said, KCP is a guy who's better suited for a team like a Lakers or a Denver where he's going to feast on open threes as opposed to a team in the middle of nowhere. The Wizards should absolutely be trying to bottom up, but they're not going to do that. Um, I think they really need to get the top eight or nine of next year's draft, and we'll see if they can do that. But uh, um, it seems like they're they're committed to this fuel thing. The one thing I'll say about that is that I think they're going to probably just automatically give them a max. Like, why not? I know this is probably bad um, in terms of relationships with agents and stuff like that, but why not make make him fetch a max? Yeah. I, I, I guess, uh, but like why automatically give him all of the money he can get when like you can offer him the most anyway and he might not be able to get what you're offering, like even close to it. So um, maybe, maybe you fear that uh, a Miami who is also going to be interesting to watch uh, and see if they can try to make a move uh, for a Donovan Mitchell, for instance. Um, but yeah, I don't know what the Wizards are doing. They should be tanking. I agree with that. But I do, I do like the trade for them as well. I have a final uh, question for you. I want us to do a, a little experiment here with free agency starting in less than 24 hours. Who are your – let's go with two. Your two most maybe underrated or underappreciated free agents of this cycle. Because there's always guys you, – you coined the, the term winning on the margins – 
who are two of those guys for you? And if I, I kind of just threw this on you. So if you need me to go with one, I can go with one and then you can go unless you have one. No, let's hear where you will. How about TJ Warren? Okay. I mean, bubble TJ was an absolute phenomenon. I think he put up, if I'm not mistaken, did he put up a 50 burger on the Sixers or was that a 40 burger on the Sixers uh, in the bubble? And we haven't seen him for the past few years, but it's like, he's a guy that you talk about went on the margins. You could probably get for the mid level. um, And I've heard, you know, this is not an original thought. I heard uh, someone mention this. It might've been Hollinger, but like, could you imagine him on Boston coming off that bench? Like just as a guy who can, you know, mismatch score, uh, three point shooter space, the floor can defend. I mean, He's a guy who's kind of low-key, not getting really any buzz, but I think that a contender can snag him very affordably, and, you know, I think he can make an impact. So um, that's one guy that's interesting. Why don't you throw one in there? I'm going to go with Bruce Brown, Bruce Brown Jr. Arguably the Nets' third best player in the postseason, although their postseason was only four games long. But in terms of the short rollers in the NBA, it's to me it's Draymond and then it's him. And so if you have a star – that continuously gets double teamed around a pick and roll, I think he would fit right in with whoever that star is. And a lot of teams have that kind of player. So I would definitely expect him to have a market. And I think that he's a winning basketball player. And he, and he got a lot better, by the way, throughout the course of the season. Um, and very small sample size, but he shot 40% from three. He only yeah. like won a game, but. It's not, it's not um, unrealistic to see him as maybe a guy who shoots maybe three three-pointers a game. What's the criteria for this? These are like low-key guys low key. who... Yeah, basically just underrated free agents. They might get paid. I mean, they could still get paid, but guys that you think are not getting the buzz that they should be and that can help a team basically win. Do you think that J- – so Jay Sean Tate got his team option um, turned down, and the indication is that Houston is going to re-sign him, but he's restricted. I mean, does this qualify, or is that one of those things where it's like he's restricted, you know, someone's going to make an offer and Houston's going to match anything, or is this a guy that you think is uh, attainable? Because I think that, you know, he's a guy that both of us value in terms of someone who's versatile defensively, um, you know, a very smart player. Um, He's not a, a non-factor shooter. I think he's a, a decent shooter. Um, you know, he's just a, a guy who can do a little bit of everything. I mean, I think he's he's an interesting guy. Um, he so he fits the criteria of the question to a T. But to me, because of what you just mentioned, it sounds like there's no way that he's actually quote unquote available. So let's have uh, another name. Just I've got I've got another. I'll throw another one out there. So. Um, the um, the Kings didn't tender Dante DiVincenzo, and obviously his uh, his offense has been down the tubes the past two years. But you know, defensively, he's a very interesting guy. Um, and, and if he can rediscover his, his shot from two years ago, I believe I, I think that's that can be a sneaky guy who 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 just helps you win. Um, and is a guy who honestly. In, in my opinion, I mean, he, he, he's not someone you can hunt like the, the, he can do with the, the Bucks had a Grayson Allen in that spot. Like, I, I think that Dante is, is a guy who is a very formidable defender. I'm interested to see um, if, uh, can, can he be a Caruso type um, if he can stay healthy? Is he someone who can, who can help a, a contender out there? So I think Dante is my guy. Future Laker Dante DiVincenzo. I could totally I love it. I could totally see him in LA. Um, mine, I'm, do you, do you want to take a guess at mine? I know there's a lot of free agents, but we've, I've mentioned him before as a guy that, that I really, really like. Um, I'll give you a hint. It's a guy that Evan Brooks and I have gone uh, back and forth about a, a few, a few times. He's only 22 years old. Is this Colin Sexton? No, but he was. He, I was going to mention him. It was either the guy that I'm going to mention or it was going to be Sexton. Let's uh, Simons. No, I think Simons is going to stay. So probably not. It's not Simons. Yeah, because of what you mentioned, I think he's he's staying. It's uh, it's Jalen Smith. 
unrestricted free agent. Oh, wow. Years old. Okay. Yep. You're right. He didn't really get his opportunity when he was in Phoenix. When he got to Indiana, he showed flashes. And if you can get him. He's a real shooter, man. Yeah, for sure. The game is obviously going towards versatility. In theory, he should fit that mold of player. Um, it, consistency with him is going to be an issue probably, but he's still so young and guys just teams kind of give up on these guys when they're, you know, we're seeing with Kobe when they're 22, 23, still a long way to go for these guys. And if I'm Indiana, um, I'm doing whatever I can to keep him within reason, obviously, but I don't think he's going to, what do you think his contract is going to look like while we're on the topic of Jalen Smith? Do you think he gets mid-level? Like, I don't know. Like, pr- probably, like, I, sub, like, you know, I don't know, like, $4 million a year? I think he's three twenty-seven, three years, 27 mil. Okay. We'll keep an eye out, out on that one. It's just I think that with bigs, you never know because, like, the, the market is so um, – it's with bigs that you forgot even existed. And there's so many guys like um, who, who play that position, who can, can play 15 minutes in a regular season game. So I would be a little bit surprised if he approached uh, that contract, but then again, you know, so it only takes one team. Um, and um, I, I think that, uh, you know, he, he's an interesting guy that can I mentioned another guy at you more for like a comedic reason, but I think yeah. it'd just be fantastic on the heels of winning an NBA championship if Otto Porter, because he played so well. If he gets like someone to give them mid level over three years or something like oh, that, like yeah. I think it would be so funny, like, you know, if he went to like a mediocre team and then immediately, you know, out for six weeks you know, because, <laughs> because of a, a, an injury or something like that. I, I think that uh, Otto has one more contract on him and, uh, it's going to be interesting to see how that goes because he was excellent for the Warriors and that's, you know, condensed role for them. I mean, he was, I think he shot like, it's like a 60, you know, 60 from the field, 50 from three. Like he was just absolutely outstanding, if I'm not mistaken. He was just absolutely lights out and a, a guy who could, I mean, they moved in the starting lineup and, you know, Steph's explosion and that move kind of, kind of changed the dynamics of the series. So, um, he, he's going to be someone who's uh, – I'm, I'm going to be curious to see the, the type of work his agent is doing uh, behind the scenes. My, my final question for you is regarding your Sixers. Besides the – well, let me just ask you it this way. Are you optimistic going into this offseason? Because the news with Philly is the P.J. Tucker news, and it sounds like Harden's getting in shape and, and he's taking this offseason seriously. Are you optimistic about what's what's ahead for for the Philadelphia 76ers? No, but I'm going to easily talk. I'm I'm already reading some of the Harden hype pieces where basically um, he's been working out. He only took two weeks vacation and he's working out with Sam Cassell in Houston. He's looking outstanding. So um, I I really like the Melton move. Um, He's more like, although I guess you could say that Melton, there were moments in the playoffs where he wasn't really playing big minutes, but I, I just like that three guard lineup. I think um, you can close games uh, potentially with him. Um, we'll see on uh, PJ Tucker uh, if we end up getting him, and then I think we'll have a room to to get one more guy who can who can impact us. It's just that um, there's really you know we grew up our mind on, on this era of you know the San Antonio Spurs and the Miami Heat. And then the Golden State Warriors, and obviously the Warriors just won the championship, but I'm talking about the KD Warriors, where it's like those one or two teams that were at the top of the – I feel like we're in this era now. Um, we're past the super team era. We're in this era now where it's like eight teams are going to go in the year with a chance to win a title. And I think the Sixers, um, despite last year's discouraging exit, I think that we're going to make some moves on the defensive side of the ball to, to really fortify that end. And um, – if we have a focus, James, I know that, you know, he's one of your least favorite players, and I know that you can't, based on his track record, it's tough to tout anything uh, about him, but he's a talent, and, uh, you know, can he recapture some health? Can we get, you know, another mini breakout out of Maxi? Can we get another MVP caliber year from Embiid? 
we'll see. I mean, I'm starting to talk myself into it. Um, why not, man? Why not us? I love it. The process. I love it. As always, Yos, it was a pleasure. Um, we need to do this again this weekend with Harrison Leo. I was going to put that in our group chat because I'm sure that there's going to be a lot of fireworks that we don't expect or foresee considering the fact that, you know, so many guys like the Aiton that we mentioned, we, we, we just don't know right now um, at our current viewpoint, what's going to happen, but thank you as always. Cannot wait to see how this all plays out in the next few days. Uh, next time we talk, Rudy Gobert is going to be a Chicago bull. Oh my God. I'm getting so excited. Just hearing you say that. That's amazing. I, I, my official prediction is Aiden. Who is okay. the Bulls center next year before we? Uh, Nikola Vucevic. Okay. All right. So status quo. All right. All right. As always, thank you for listening. And until next time, we are out of here. Peace out, Hoovers.